Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Our thanks to Adams Road Band for that musical introduction. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We are looking at the October 2022 edition of the Liahona Magazine. And as I've mentioned this week, the Liahona Magazine is a monthly periodical that is geared more towards adult members in The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we're discussing an article that begins on page 4, titled The Everlasting Covenant. It's a transcript of a talk that was given by 17th President Russell M. Nelson to leaders in The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And in this talk, Russell M. Nelson is giving a definition of the Hebrew word hesed. And Though sometimes he seems to get the definition correct, I think he misapplies this definition when comparing it to the doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I don't think the God of Mormonism is practicing hesed, at least not the way their plan of salvation has been explained to their members. So we're going through this, comparing what Nelson has to say as opposed to what the Bible says on this given subject. This is an eight-page article. We're doing this in a week, so we're not going to be able to cover every nuance. But if you want to get more and see some of the citations as well that we're using, you can go to our website, mrm.org slash everlasting hyphen covenant. Everlasting hyphen covenant follows mrm.org, and you'll see more of what we have to say. In this article on page 6, we had cited it yesterday, Russell M. Nelson says, Hesed is a unique term describing a covenant relationship in which both parties are bound to be loyal and faithful to each other. We read a definition from a Christian source that gives a Christian understanding of the word Hesed, and basically what this definition says is that God's covenant relationship with his people results in his loyal love and faithfulness, which is hesed, even when his people are unfaithful to him. Always at the heart of hesed lies God's generous sense of compassion, grace, and mercy. Now, Latter-day Saint leaders talk about all three of those, compassion, grace, and mercy. But as we understand mercy, as it's been described by LDS leaders, mercy is something that has to be earned. So even though they may use that word, they are certainly defining that word very differently from the way that we would define it. But then Nelson goes on to say, a celestial marriage is such a covenant relationship— A husband and wife make a covenant with God and with each other to be loyal and faithful to each other. Now, Eric, when I read that paragraph, I'm a little bit perplexed. Why does he have to say that that's only found in a celestial marriage? Certainly, Nelson has to know that there are a number of couples that belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who were not married in the temple, have not been married for time and eternity. And of course, they would understand that their marriage relationship is only for time, that after death, 
that marriage relationship cease to exist. Because I would argue that when he says a husband and wife make a covenant with God and with each other to be loyal and faithful to each other. Now, you and I, Eric, are not Latter-day Saints, so we obviously have not gone through what a Latter-day Saint would call a celestial marriage. But I would certainly say that when I was married to my wife almost five decades ago, we made a covenant with God and each other to be loyal and faithful to each other, as I know you and your wife made a very similar covenant. So I don't know why he has to put the word celestial in there, but he's going to try and compare this celestial marriage covenant by saying a marriage covenant made in the temple is tied directly to that Abrahamic covenant. Now, I don't see any connection whatsoever between a celestial marriage covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. So maybe it would be good that we look at what the Bible describes as the Abrahamic covenant. And we read about this in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says that he, Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 3, it says, Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. One thing that stands out on this is that this seems to be a promise coming from God to Abraham. We don't see anywhere where Abraham is making a deal with God in order for this to actually come to pass. God makes the promise to Abram, and Abram believes what the Lord tells him. And we are told in verse 6 that because of that faith that Abram had in the Lord, that was accounted to him for righteousness. We see no work on the part of Abram in this particular passage. And the same goes for the promise that God makes to Abram regarding land that would be given to him. Do we see anywhere in the promise in these following verses in chapter 15 where God is somehow striking a deal where the Lord says to Abram, I'm going to give you this land only if you do this, 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 and this. We don't see anywhere in those passages of Abram making a promise that he's going to reciprocate in anything, and yet reciprocation seems to be very important in Russell M. Nelson's understanding of Hesed. When you understand what's being said here in Genesis 15, verses 7 through 11, God says to take these different animals, a cow, a goat, a ram, all three years old, as well as some birds, cut them in half, lay them over each other. So they put them out. And then as the sun's going down, Abram falls asleep and he's in a deep sleep. And God says in verse 13, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What happens after that? Well, the sun has not gone down. And just as it was getting dark, it says that the Lord 
pass between the pieces. Abram does not pass between the pieces. It's only the Spirit of God that goes through that. And it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. And so that's the promise that's made. The Abrahamic covenant is one that God makes with Abram, but Abram does not say or do anything to uh, earn what God has given to him. And we certainly don't find that kind of description when it comes to covenant keeping within the context of Mormonism. Certainly, it's something that's done by both parties, and Nelson even says so at the top of page six. He tries to make the case that hesed is a unique term describing a covenant relationship in which both parties are bound to be loyal and faithful to each other. From Daniel chapter 9, we find that Daniel clearly understood that he was, in fact, exhibiting his hesed to the nation of Israel even when they were disobedient and were facing judgment given by God. So there is a difference in their understanding of what this word is. But then Nelson goes on to say, because God has hesed for those who have covenanted with him, he will love them. He will continue to work with them and offer them opportunities to change. He will forgive them when they repent, and should they stray, he will help them find their way back to him. But then he goes on to say that God will never tire in his efforts to help us, and we will never exhaust his merciful patience with us. Each of us has a special place in God's heart. He has high hopes for us. That expression there, Eric, bothers me because that does not seem to sound like the God of Mormonism, where he says that, that we will never exhaust his merciful patience with us. It would seem to be that if you have a leader saying that you should not be telling people at a Latter-day Saint's funeral that that deceased person went to the celestial kingdom, if they did not keep all the covenants and keep all the commandments that were required of them during this life, it would seem to be, if that's the case, that that individual, at least, certainly must have exhausted this merciful patience that their God had with this individual. Again, it boils down to the fact the member must keep his end of the bargain if he hopes to receive the various blessings. And Nelson should know this, because in the temple ceremony— and this is the post-1990 LDS endowment ceremony, you have a character who plays Lucifer, and Lucifer, interesting enough, is the one who teaches doctrine. And I have to ask the question, when Lucifer says what we're about to quote, was he teaching truth? I would argue that in the context of Mormonism, he must be, because what he is saying here in this temple endowment ceremony is not much different than what I've seen other LDS leaders teach when it comes to covenant keeping. Yeah, Lucifer turns and stares into the camera and says, I have a word to say concerning these people. If they do not walk up to every covenant they make at these altars in this temple in this day, they will be in my power. 
does that sound like this is coming from a, a system where this God is never going to exhaust his merciful patience with individual members in the church? Why would you need Lucifer to threaten everybody who's sitting in that auditorium at that time with this thought that if you don't walk up to every covenant that you make at these altars. And the covenants that they make at the altars are not much different than the covenants that they make when they are baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They are basically promising that they are going to keep all the commandments. If you were to look, for instance, on the official website of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, type in the word baptism and then it will take you to an essay by that title. And it says, when you were baptized, you entered into a covenant with God. You promised to take upon yourself the name of Jesus Christ, keep his commandments, and serve him to the end. It goes on to say that your efforts to stand as a witness of God include everything you do and say. Strive always to remember and keep the Lord's commandments. It goes on to say, as you keep the covenant you made at baptism, the Lord will bless you for your faithfulness. Some of the blessings you receive are the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, the remission of your sins, and the privilege of being spiritually reborn. So you see, this covenant relationship is clearly a two-way street in the context of Mormonism. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.